Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest has secrets. Dale Beaumont published his first book when he was only 19 and is now a best-selling author, international speaker, and creator of, amongst other things, the Secrets Exposed series. He's also the, product, uh, the author of a new product for writers called Get Published Secrets. And with any luck, you might share a few of those with us today. Dale, welcome. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Now, as our regular listeners will know, we usually begin the show by having our authors read a bit from their books, just to give mm. a feeling for the work. So, Dale, can you read something to us, or maybe just talk to us about some aspect of Get Published Secrets? Yeah, I might just um, give people a bit of a quick overview of, uh, of what my books are about. Uh, basically, they're a collection of interviews with highly successful people in a range of different topic areas. And uh, so we now have 15 books in what we call the Secrets Exposed series. So there's some titles like Secrets of Male Entrepreneurs Exposed, Female Entrepreneurs Exposed, Secrets of Property Millionaires, Small Business Owners, Inspiring Leaders, etc., etc. So there's a whole bunch of titles out there. And it's in a question and answer format. So I've gone through and researched all these individuals, written targeted questions to each of them, and then they write written responses and uh, each person produces around about 5,000 words, and we have around about 15 people in each book. Um, so they're fairly, um, fairly thick. They're around about 300 pages each, and my idea is really to give people access to role models and mentors and to not only give people useful information that they can apply to their lives or to their, to their businesses or families, but also to, to share with people some inspirational stories uh, about where people actually started, uh, where people went wrong, mistakes that they made, the lessons along the way, because as we know, success isn't uh, you know, all, always a road paved in gold. There's lots of obstacles and challenges along the way. And I think it's really great for people to see you know, the real life stories of, of people that are high achievers and, and uh, how they succeeded. That sounds great. And what, what made you come up with, or how did you come up with that structure? What, you know, at what point did you think, this is how I'm going to do it? Hmm. Well, my original um, thought process came from, from running programs with teenagers because I always used to say to them, it's important to have role models and mentors and, and go out there and find successful people and interview them and ask them questions. And then I thought to myself, well, what about if I could actually go out there and do that hard work, if I could go out there and interview these people and put them together in a book and it'd be something that would be really powerful. So I researched other what I would call compilation books where there's multiple authors and I saw different formats and different ways people had, had done it and what I chose to do was to make all of my responses from the contributors actually written. So a lot of uh, books where they're compilation books is where someone is doing an interview like we're doing right now, then they have the interview transcribed and they put it in a book word for word. And I found that when I read those style of books, they didn't really quite um, were as powerful as when you know, someone actually, actually has to think about their answer and type in every word and every sentence. And it's, it, the, the content is a lot more potent and, uh, and it's a lot more interesting for the reader. So the differences with my books are all the answers are written by the contributors themselves. Um, so it takes a lot more work on their part, but it creates a much better product. Also, the books are broken up into specific topic areas. So I've read other compilation books where you might have an athlete and a business person and there's someone in the community and someone who's a millionaire in property and, and, it's, and there's no real common thread. But all of my books are around a particular topic so then that way you can pick and choose 
the subject matter which you want to learn more about. And the third sort of point of difference was making sure that all the books had a consistent look and a consistent feel. So if you go to one of my websites, uh, which is secretsexposedclub.com, and you just go to products and you, you can see all my books and they all uh, have matching styles in the, in, the, in the covers. They have one, uh, the color is always different, so it's kind of like a rainbow when you spread them out, but uh, the format is, is the same. And so that way there's that recognition with, um, with our customers and book buyers. When they go into the store, they go, oh, there's another one of Dale Beaumont's books. And there's that instant recognition. They know the quality, they know the standard. And uh, I find that most of my book sales now are from repeat customers. And that's a, a suggestion that you make as well in the Get Published Secrets, isn't it? To, to think more broadly than a single book. Yeah, my message or my mantra is uh, don't think book, think book series. Because a lot of people, they try to compress all of their knowledge and all their information into a single book. And uh, in, a, in my opinion, that's probably not the best thing to do because one, it's going to be much harder to write if you have to compress a whole lot of knowledge into just, into just one book. And also from a branding and positioning point of view, it's much better if you have two, three or four, five books in the marketplace as opposed to just one. And I think, feel that the market has really changed and shifted a lot with, with uh, my area, which is non-fiction books. And people don't necessarily want a book these days that's going to be you know, three or four hundred pages. They're looking for what we call the airport read. They uh, buy a book at the airport, they jump on a plane for an hour or two hours, and then they arrive at the destination and they finish the book. So we're talking about books between about 100 to maybe maximum 200 pages, with a sweet spot being around 150 pages. Those books um, may not sell for as much, but if you've got three or four in the marketplace, as opposed to just one, you're of course going to make more money and have more, what I would call, points of presence in the marketplace. So. I'd, uh, yeah, that would be a strong message there. Don't think book, think book series. And uh, you could also translate that to fiction writers out there as well. You look at some of the most successful fiction books of the last decade, and of course Harry Potter comes to mind, and what is Harry Potter? Well, it's, it's a classic book series. You look at Dan Brown with what he's done with Angels and Demons and, um, and The Da Vinci Code, that's another series as well. So people that uh, adopt that principle, I think, will do much better in the long run because they end up creating this fan base. And um, and and if you create a good product, um, the and uh, the first time, then people are going to want book number two, three, and four, and it just continues on. So it's a really important message. Um, one of the most important, in my opinion. And, and a secret. So there we go. We've got one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thanks. Do you, do you think though that um, I guess the modern attention span is shorter than it used to be. Yes, absolutely. Why do you think that is? Well, I think people's uh, lives are, are busier than they ever were before. You know, um, when, uh, when we had emails, people thought to themselves, oh, well, now we've got emails, we, we can have a paperless office, we'll never have to use the, you know, the mail again. But uh, I don't know about you, but I get more mail now than I ever have before, and we're supposed to be in a paperless society. I think people, people are getting busier. And, um, and their lives are becoming more and more demanding. Um, in most families now, both husband and wife um, go to work, and so people don't have the time that they maybe once did. And so I think shorter reads are, are much more powerful, especially for the younger generation as well, you know, with, uh, with you know, things like YouTube and things like Facebook and Twitter. Everything's becoming more and more compressed, and certainly with uh, younger readers and, and obviously 
uh, it's becoming more the norm, you know, they're looking for, well, you know, if you can't get your message across in a, in a shorter amount of time, then, um, you know, it, it may not be a good message. So you look and you, you need, so society is really evolving and um, I, I just think that people need to, need to think about making smaller books but making more of them. Sure. And yet, um, Harry Potter, for example, is pretty long. Each book is, <laughs> is fairly lengthy. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. But what you notice if you have a look at the spine width of the Harry Potter books, you know, they, they vary in length. Some of the first ones were actually quite short, uh, and then they actually sort of got fatter the further along that they actually went. So, um, so that was, you know, a little, little uh, thing there to notice about the, the Harry Potter books is, is that they, where they started um, to, you know, to draw people in, to grab people's attention, and then once they had that attention, they could afford to write, you know, big, thick books, and people would still buy them. Sure. And the chapters are short, which is interesting. Always with the hook at the end of each chapter. I definitely yes. noticed that style. Yes, correct. Yeah. So every chapter needs to really sell the next chapter. <laughs> yes. And, and I guess that's another secret. Yeah, <laughs> A fiction is. secret, at least. Yes. Um, do you find that that's the case with nonfiction, too? Do you, do you feel like the end of the chapter is critical to get people to continue reading, again, with the short attention span? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think that, um, you know, this, this different approaches to either writing a book or to um, delivering a speech. You know, a lot of people are used to what I would call the, you know, sort of training style, which is, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And if you think about the carriages of a train, it's sort of like one after the other. But if you, when I'm noticing a lot of professional speakers now and also a lot of successful authors, they're using more of what I would call the sort of the hurricane approach. So what they're doing is the first chapter almost is almost a summary of the entire book and uh, there are looping themes which throughout every chapter of the book they keep sort of coming back to those um, same messages and those same threads but just exploring them from a different angle. So I think that's a really uh, clever way to, uh, to write a book um, because what you're doing is you're making sure that people are getting the real essence of uh, what you're about and what you believe they don't have to get all the way to the end. And, and that repetition of ideas would really lock in those, uh, those lessons. And I think a lot of fiction writers as well, you know, the same sort of principle applies. Uh, and in movies, movies have done this now. You never really tell a story from beginning to end these days. You always are, are cutting and dicing and splicing and putting scenes you know, in different orders and, and mixing them up. And uh, oftentimes you've got you know four or five storylines running all at the same time. So I think that's another good way of being able to uh, you know keep people's attention. So they always need to keep reading to you know close that loop and to get more of the picture of the story. Mm. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. You struggled with English at school. Um, where did the desire to you know make your living out of words to become an author come in? Mm, well, when I was 19 years of age, my first sort of career path was running uh, personal development programs for teenagers. So we'd run workshops teaching things like leadership, goal setting, communication, money management skills. And uh, these programs were, were amazing programs, but we wanted to get the word out there and to, to um, get more people um, finding out about us. And we then called up uh, the Sydney Morning Herald and how much it, find out how much it cost to place you know, a full-page ad and just thought there's no way that we can, um, you know, afford to advertise. Then we had to start thinking a bit differently. So we thought, well, what about if we could get the attention of the media to write stories about us? And so we tried that, um, but we kept hitting a brick wall, and that brick wall was, look, you're 19 years of age, you know, what makes you think you know anything about writing these uh, programs for youth? You know, come back to us when 
when you actually have some credibility. And so what we did is we thought, well, you know, we can't just sit around for the next 10 or 20 years to, to then have enough there experience. We've got to think about a way to manufacture some credibility. So what we did is we wrote a book um, called The World at Your Feet, which is only a very small book. It was 78 pages long. It was a personal development book for teenagers. And uh, we then submitted media releases about that particular book, saying it was the first book that had been done for teenagers by teenagers. And it uh, talked about um, practical life skills, things that weren't focused on in schools. And all of a sudden, we got a huge amount of media and publicity. Um, so the people living in Australia would know these type of programs. Um, but we were on the Today Show, we were on Sunrise, we were on Mornings with Carrie Ann, and we were in, in about um, maybe 50 to 60 um, newspapers and, uh, and magazine articles. So. Uh, that was really the kickstart. So for, for me, it was really a way of uh, my first book initially was to build um, credibility and to be able to also have a message that could reach people in places that I may never go. And what was really incredible and why I love books so much is that you know when we produced that first book, we got letters from all across Australia, letters from Darwin and from, from uh, far north Queensland and from Western Australia and Tasmania and say, wow, thank you so much. This book really inspired me. I'm so glad that I found it and it's made a huge difference in my life. And I thought to myself, I've never been to any of those places and uh, I may never go, but I've been able to impact people um, you know, in, in a way that uh, it's really profound. So, so I fell in love with the idea of writing books and that's why I came back to writing books again at the age of 23 and then produced another 15 books as part of the Secrets Exposed series, which I was talking about earlier. So, so right from the start, you had the idea that you'd be producing a quantity of books, and you worked through those 15. Uh, yeah, initially I just thought, well, I actually worked on the first four all at the same time because I, I'm kind of, um, you know, into economies of scale, and I believe that, um, you know, it's much better. It's, it's obviously slower in the short term to work on two or three books or four books at the same time but it's actually much better in the long run because then you can release your books very, very quickly and you, you can create a lot of momentum and a real groundswell in the marketplace. And so I worked on those first four books and, and uh, people really loved them and started to write into me suggesting other titles and say, can you write a book about this and can you do one about this? And then so I came up with another, um, another 11 new titles and uh, we then published uh, 11 new books in one year. In the year 2007 we published 11 books so it was a crazy time but um, you know I just I suppose want to say to people that if I can produce 11 books in one year then people out there can definitely produce you know one book in one year. Mm. And, and I love I just love the story about um, you know generating a small book to gain credibility. What a terrific um, notion. I, I, you know I think a lot of also think of books as being ends yeah. rather than as being means and so it's quite interesting to see how that you know fairly simple process of producing a small book um, not only gained your credibility but you know I gave you the taste of you know what it means to reach out to people and all of that it's a fantastic story yeah exactly but do you think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there you know in the world really about what it takes to write and publish a book yes certainly I, I think um you know, there's a lot of, um, of, of factors more on a, a personal level for people. A lot of people think, well, I don't know enough yet, I'm not good enough yet, and it's a whole sort of, uh, you know, self-esteem uh, conversation that they're sort of having. Uh, and I met a lot of people that sort of said, you know, I waited 10 years before I wrote my book because I didn't think that I was worthy enough to have my books out there in, in print. Um, but, uh, 
you know, that's sort of that's, you know, 10 years that have passed, um, you know, without uh, the world, you know, hearing your thoughts and ideas. And so you should uh, put more value on your, your thoughts because a lot of people, you know, really hold back. Um, so that's kind of on an emotional level what stops a lot of people. The next sort of major thing on a practical level is once they have written their book, then they run into obstacles with it about how they can get their book um, published. Because a lot of people, their only, um, their only experience or is, has been with through a major publisher. And so they think that that's the only way to get their books into print. Well, it's, it's actually not. There are many, many different ways uh, today to get published. Um, there's, of course, the self-publishing channel, which um, I'm someone that uh, uh, loves the idea of self-publishing. It's certainly not right for everyone, but I think more people should consider self-publishing as an entree or as a start to their careers. Um, and then there are other services, which is a sort of a sub subsection of, um, of self-publishing, which is a method of printing, which is known as print-on-demand, which is also a great place to start as well. And uh, another place would be to look at um, um, producing your books digitally and using a service like smashwords.com as a way of being able to get your words out there and not have any of the costs associated with uh, printing and, uh, and distribution and warehousing, etc. So I really encourage people to start getting their ideas out there and sort of you know, and build your, that career and that groundswell over time. And uh, I know a lot of people that have gone down the do-it-yourself path and they've now had publishers approach them and say, we've seen what you've done with your book, we'd like to buy the rights to publish your book. And now they've got major publishing deals, but they probably never would have got those in the beginning if they had gone directly. They went and did it themselves and now the publishers are chasing them. So I really want to give people hope and say there's lots of different options that are out there for people and you should really start you know, keeping your, your eyes open um, to new, new possibilities. And I suppose there's a learning curve as well that goes along with things like self-publishing. Do you think so? Um, and I know being relatively young, I guess, um, you know, maybe you just take a lot of the, um, the modern technology as given, but do you think that there are, it's, that things have changed and that no longer is there a major separation between those that create books and those that write books? In other words, the writing and the publishing processes, even for those who are published by um, a, a traditional publisher, have, you know, that that gap has narrowed considerably. Absolutely, yeah. There was once a once a time where by writers were writers and um, and publishers, you know, were publishers and maybe the publishing, the marketing, the promotion. But as uh, times have changed and the marketplace has become more competitive and the book market is, uh, you know, under threat every day from things like uh, the internet and. Uh, and seminars and interviews over the phone like we're doing right now and there's a lot more access to information. So therefore, uh, what's, what's happening now is the publishing game is becoming a lot more competitive and uh, budgets are being squeezed. So therefore, publishers today are looking for authors that aren't just writers but uh, have a platform, they have an audience built in and they're people that can get out there and they can create some PR, they can uh, do radio interviews, they can perform on television, they could you know, be someone that would, uh, could be interviewed on Oprah. They're looking for people now that aren't just writers, but um, that actually are able to get out there and promote and market the, the books and partner with publishers in order to, um, to make that book a success. Because I remember you know, growing up and watching a whole lot of Hollywood movies and you, this idea of a writer with you know, long hair and a, and a beard, you know, in the kind of forest, you know, riding away on their typewriter and, and, uh, 
you know, never actually seeing the light of day, that is just so far from the truth today about what a writer really is. Um, so people need to understand that, you know, whether you like it or not, you're going to, you know, if you love writing, in order to, to really commercialize it and make it a success so you can keep doing what you love, you really need to get out there and hustle and, and uh, think of your book, not just as a book, but, you know, as a business tool to grow your brand and profile and to generate more sales so you can continue to do what you love. Mm. Now, Get Published Secrets is a little bit of a different model because it's not so much. There is some printed matter, but it's also videos, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a program called uh, Get Published Secrets, which is a, a program that teaches people really everything you need to know to write, publish, and market your own, own best-selling books. So they're, and they're core of the program are eight DVDs, and they're each about 50 minutes in length, and they go through each of the sort of the eight stages of the process. Um, in addition to those eight DVDs, there's 16 audio CDs as well, where I've interviewed other experts in the publishing arena. Uh, one of them is Dan Pointer, who's uh, sort of the, the, the father or the grandfather of, um, of self-publishing. He's published over a hundred books. Another guy called Brian Caswell, who's an award-winning fiction writer. He's published over 26 books. So I wanted to give people not just my experience, but I wanted to give them the experience of a whole bunch of other highly successful uh, people as well. Um, so that's the, the, the program. There's a bunch of other bonuses which, which come along with that as well. And if people are interested in finding out about that program, the website getpublishedsecrets.com. That's getpublishedsecrets.com, and you can find out a bit more about that program. That's great. How did you choose your interviewees? I mean, some of them are obvious choices, but how did you find them? What's the process you went through to get them to agree to be part of this? Mm, well, I, I looked at kind of people that had succeeded in the publishing arena and, and from different angles. So there's also someone who's who's uh, really done well from just digital books and selling e-books. And there's another uh, lady in there called Lisa Messenger, and what she specializes in is selling books in, in, uh, in bulk or in high volumes to corporations, so selling like 10 or 20,000 books to a single buyer. And that's really fascinating for a lot of people in doing strategic partnerships and joint ventures. There's another person who's a friend of mine who uh, sells books uh, at live presentations and events. And some of his presentations, he's sold over $10,000 worth of books in, um, at, on the back end of a single 60-minute um, presentation. So what I wanted to do was to give people access to you know, people that were doing things kind of differently, doing things a bit outside the box. And uh, I just told them what I was doing, uh, wrote them a letter, wrote, them, wrote out the questions that I'd like to ask them, and just uh, said, well, look, do you mind if I they come and see you either during your lunch hour, before or after work, and just, uh, you know, I just had a little setup of a microphone, and, uh, and away we went. So I asked them all these questions, recorded it all, edited it, and, uh, and then produced these CDs, which uh, complement the, uh, the DVDs as part of the Get Published Secrets program. And did anybody give you any trouble? <laughs> um, no, um, I was surprised that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are sort of more than, than willing to share. Um, so it was, it was, you know, it was quite, uh, quite, I can't say the word easy, there's obviously some work involved, but uh, it was quite a straightforward process to um, get those people to agree to an interview. There was a few other um, people that I tried to do interviews with, but for various reasons, whether they'd be overseas at the time or, you know, on a sabbatical, uh, they weren't able to, uh, to be interviewed. But I think that the people that we did have provided such good value 
um, that uh, you know really made uh, made the program so much um, more impacting. Now, just talk to me a little bit because I think the whole basis of your program, and maybe even the basis of the program that you you did with teenagers, is around this whole notion of success. So I'd love to just talk to you for a bit about what you consider success to be, and at what point you knew that you were a success, and I guess at what point people can begin calling themselves a success. Mm. Well, first of all, I think success is a, you know, it's a journey, not a destination. I don't think you ever arrive at a point and say, yes, I've made it, now I'm a success. I think once you reach that point, your goals will change, your goals will shift, and you start to uh, have different priorities, and you're working towards those, and you're constantly evolving. So I don't know if I would put that label on myself saying I'm a success because I'm still working on you know, my health, I'm still working on my relationship and, and my you know, um, impact on the community. So I'm, I'm always evolving. But for me, success is about um, being able to be, of course, being happy. It doesn't really matter about what you have in the way of your physical possessions. If you're not enjoying your life, um, you know, on a daily basis, or at least more often than not, then, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. I know a lot of people that have a huge amount of money, millions and millions of dollars, and they're just not happy and they would, you know, rather be doing something else. Um, but I know a lot of people that don't have a lot of, you know, what most people would call success, they have financial possessions. However, they really have a great life and, and they're happy in every moment. So happiness is definitely a part of it. I think also impact, um, being able to make a difference and uh, and contribute to society, that's a part of my definition of success anyway, not just having self-serving interests but being able to give something back and to really leave a mark, leave a legacy. That's um, part of my definition for success. And the, the third thing I think would be you know, having control over your life. Uh, it's, it's hard to really feel successful, it's hard to feel happy uh, if somebody else is kind of dictating to you about what you should do and how you should live your life. Um, so if you can control, you know, what you want to do, um, and for some people, you know, that's just um, being able to just, you know, make the decisions that's important to them. If you, if you say to yourself, well, you know, I don't want to go into work this Friday because I really want to be at my um, children's athletics carnival or swimming carnival, then if you've got the ability to be able to make those decisions and you're in control of how you spend your time, then that also uh, is part of success for me. So they're the, sort of the three words, happiness, impact, and, uh, and control of one's life. And do you think that it often can be, particularly in our busy modern world, and we've talked about that, um, it's easy to get on a track that isn't one that makes us happy. It's not where we, you know, I guess we ultimately would like to be and to just keep going on that track. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, I had a situation whereby, uh, you know, about um, eight or nine months ago, I had an opportunity to come up to invest in a real estate education company, which I did. And I purchased a new business, and and uh, you know I was building that for about five months, and uh, we did well out of that five months. But you know after we had um, run some programs and done some things, I just thought this is not what I really want to be doing. It's not kind of lighting me up. I'm, I'm more stressed, and uh, I'm not uh, really enjoying it. So I had to you know move on and sell that business, and uh, and now I'm kind of feeling like I'm back to doing the things that I really love. So. Yeah, I, I do. I think sometimes we can get distracted and, and the, the point there is just recognizing when that happens and, uh, and then making a change and, and get yourself back on track and back on your path, not somebody else's path. 
Now, we're, we're almost out of time, but um, before we finish up, I'd just love to hear what you have planned for yourself over the next year or five years, or, you know, what can your fans expect to see? Mm. Well, uh, next year I'm going to be producing a couple more uh, new books. Uh, these ones will be uh, written by me as opposed to uh, just interviews with other successful people. So I'm looking forward to producing those. I'm also going to be running a lot more seminars and events um, and helping people to, to build their profile through teaching people about how to learn about the media, how to publish their own books, how to learn about building their own website, uh, doing uh, videos online. Um, learning how to speak, so I really love teaching and educating and showing other people you know, how they can get better um, leverage or better impact out of what they're doing. Um, also love to travel as well. Um, our, we have a 21-month-old son and uh, we've now taken him to 25 countries, so we love to travel and every three or four months we, we go somewhere in the world um, and spend lots of time together. And my latest um, and, um, and my most exciting project right now is, is a thing called GetPublishedTV.com. And basically what it is, it's the first uh, dedicated sh uh, TV show on the internet to help people to write, publish and market their own books. And I give away a huge amount of content on that website and share my personal experiences. Uh, so basically there's five shows a week, Monday through to Friday. The first four shows of the week, Monday through to Thursday, are just me and I talk for around about eight minutes or so about a different aspect of, of book publishing, whether that be the writing or, or, uh, or the publishing process or the production or, or marketing. We sort of mix it up. And then on the Friday, I interview another published author. And so that way people can get the perspectives of, uh, of other people and their mix of fiction and non-fiction and people that write memoirs and travel books. And it gives you a children's books, gives you a really good idea of what other people are doing out there and how they've overcome their obstacles and gone on to succeed in publishing. So it's really designed to give people inspiration and also give people, to equip people with the knowledge that they need to be successful in the publishing game. That's brilliant. So um, if you want more secrets, you'll have to drop by Dale's website because we're out of time. Um, Dale, why don't you yes. give us that Get Published TV URL again? Okay, it's Get Published TV. Com. So if you go along there, uh, I would love you to, to get involved. You can subscribe to the RSS so you can get notivated when there are a new, um, new episodes. You can also um, connect with us on our Facebook fan page. The link is there and also with, with Twitter. But the uh, main thing is just get involved. Um, we'd love you to leave your comments and let me know what you think. If you have ideas and suggestions which you know, add to the conversation, you can leave them there. Or if you've got a question, then ask the question and I'll uh, either answer it in the comment section or create another video and address that issue directly. So um, yeah, check it out. It's a, it's a really a, a wonderful site. Okay, thank you, Dale. Thanks so much for coming by. It's, it's been wonderful. I really uh, enjoyed it. So thanks so much. Now our next guest has been on the show before, but as I'm an unabashed gushing fan of both her work and the subject of her latest book of poetry, I just had to have her on again. It's Emily Ballow, and she'll be here in person next month to talk to us about her new book, The Darwin Poems. So don't miss that. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.